Events of the past 12 months have once again highlighted that Australia still has a long way to go when it comes to our relationship with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. 20 years on from the Reconciliation March of 2000, the path to reconciliation is still one that as a nation we have a long way to travel. In that spirit of reconciliation, I would like to offer my respects to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, both past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. So hello everyone and uh, welcome to this edition of the UX Australia podcast. I am joined today by Adrian Howard. Adrian, welcome. Hello, nice to be here. Now, where in the world are you? I think that's a, a good question to start with. I'm I'm in Dorchester uh, in the southwest UK. I'm I'm in Dorset, where the where the pirate accents come from. Wonderful. Now that's a part of the world that I've not been to. I think the closest that I've been to that part of the world would be London. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Um, it's it's England. <laughs> It's it's England. It's um, down in the um, kind of the not quite at the end of the pointy bit, uh, uh, the uh, the the southwest sort of thing, but that that direction sort of thing. So we're south, yeah. well southwest of London, a couple and hundred it, miles southwest of London. And it's very late in the evening for you. No, it's it's um, something past ten. Right. Uh, okay. Well, we appreciate you joining us here. Uh, this evening. Now, um, Adrian, can you, like, let's start off with a, 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 a simple question, which is what's going on in your part of the world at the moment? Um, well, spring is finally arriving in the, the chilly hemisphere. Um, so uh, that's been nice. Um, currently very rainy. Uh, we have um, an entertaining, the interesting political situation which we're we're staring mm. at in a slightly scary way mm. um but but life is good covid is beginning to calm down a little bit um a little work bit. has been interesting yes well, a little bit we shall see yeah. <laughs> what's happening on the work front what are you working on at the moment um, share with us I've been doing a a bunch of coaching recently, which has been really interesting. Um, I tend to work with people who are having cross-disciplinary problems, for want of a better way of putting it. So the the places where user research and product and delivery kind of butt heads a little bit. So it's just been some really, really interesting conversations about um, with some with some people about that, um, trying to get them to understand and see the values of everybody's work and the way that that work can help everyone succeed if it stops being a kind of um, my club is better than your club sort of relationship. Yeah, okay. In uh, This audience will be sort of... um I think primarily interested in the perspective from the the research and design uh, side of the, the the fence. Looking from the other side, 
um, and there will be many others um, outside of of, of uh, the research and design space. But like, what are some of the common um, conceptions, misconceptions um, that lead to our work being devalued? Um, that's a really good question. There's a bunch. And mm. I think um, I try and stay clear of the phrase misconception. I mean, the misconceptions definitely exist, but it's often... It's often people's lived experiences of, of working with people yeah. with the research label. So it's not like they're 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 telling fibs or making stuff up about the way re- research behaves. That they've they've had those experiences yeah. at some organisations or with different kinds of people with research. And I think a lot of it is um, tedious. A bunch of it is tedious conversations around kind of um, labeling and responsibilities and things. Mm-hmm. It's like okay. I was working with someone recently, and there was this um, on the on the kind of the research leadership front. They were very much kind of we we want to you know we're the people off doing generative research. We're off talking to customers all the time. We're kind of owning the voice of the customer, sort of thing. Um, and product also thought they were owning the voice of the customer, and customer support also thought they were owning the voice of the customer. And and those groups were doing different things. Um, you know, product were talking a lot about the kind of the the market aspects of that, the the mm. kind of um, you know total addressable markets, serviceable addressable markets, who we sell contracts to and stuff like that, and doing stuff like generative user research, basically. They were talking to customers, doing interviews, things like that. Um, customer support were doing different things. They were, there, you know, they, get, they were listening to the, their existing customers um, complain at them a lot. Um, they, were, they were listening to, um, right, I'm changing, I'm changing and dropping the service because of X and, and mm. passing it on to various other people. And research, we're doing all the things that good user research people do. Yep. Um, but it wasn't until we stopped talking about the kind of who owned what and started talking about, okay, what artifacts are we producing? What things are we actually doing? What outcomes are we looking for from the activities that we're doing? Um, that was when we could start having a much more productive conversation about, oh, okay, this is this is where we're doing different stuff and this is where we're overlapping and mm. this is where we're missing stuff. Um, so I think there's a whole bunch of stuff around kind of the labels and language we use uh, mm. when we're wearing our user research hats and making sure that other people in the organisation actually understand that. Um, and getting there is often just asking about asking for stories, asking for experiences. Um, you'll sadly see a lot of people who've had their experience of, of user research being we give somebody a load of money and three months later they come back and give us a big report. Um, and it's a very nice report and the presentation is lovely. Um, but we end up not actually doing anything from that. And kind of yeah. and six months down the line, we think of it as waste rather than anything useful. Yes. yes. I mean, it, it's um, 
a recurring issue, I guess, that you get these um, what are effectively demarcation disputes um, <clears throat> around, you know, a, around a product or service. Um, and I think some of that is a strong desire for control. Um, mm -hmm. Some of it is driven by organisational structures. Some of it's driven by organisational culture, um, by what we are incentivized to do or what we're rewarded for. So the more mm -hmm. we do, um, which requires us to own, you know, and control yeah. more stuff, um, you know, therefore we, um, we, we want more so that we can, be rewarded more you know like and that's that's a natural response to those sorts of incentive structures it's not often the case that organizations have good incentive structures for collaboration and cooperation mm. and that's true and sad um and <laughs> <laughs> um and indeed, I've I've seen organisations where they've, they've 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 had stuff that actually work was working quite well, and then they've they've with good intent that they've brought in a an incentive structure that's kind of I don't know prioritised individual work over collaboration, and then suddenly um, you see things that and it's not a case of like the the you know the people involved suddenly all become kind of evil machiavellian people who are out for their bonus mm. um but it's it's that case of oh i've got two things to do and and one of them is something the kind of companies told me that i'm going to get rewarded for and and that must be important so i better focus on that for a little bit yeah uh, over the the collaboration aspects yeah and i've um, i I've, I've, I've sat in meetings where people have overtly stated that conflict you know, you're you're asking me to contribute to this project over here, mm -hmm. for which I gain nothing, versus spending my time over here, for which I earn personal financial reward and yeah. advancement within the organisation. Tell me again why I should be spending any time at all on 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 your project. That's a completely valid question, and it's. Mm. Um, and I think uh, it's a challenge I, I see sometimes in, in um, when user research is, is, is trying to have more impact in an organization is that they, they see those things, but they kind of ignore them or maybe don't, don't see them in the first place and don't see that as, as, as something that's in, within their kind of remit of autonomy and control to talk about those things. Yeah. Um, a conversation I often have with user researchers about when they're having these, these, these um, problems interacting with other disciplines is to take, take that skill set that they have um, about kind of understanding pain points and customer needs and um, how things work with the people who use their product and kind of lift that and just turn that internally and, and have a look at the, <laughs> the, 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 the pain points and, and problems that people are having inside the organization um, mm. and start trying to surface and solve those. Um, like this wasn't someone I was advising, this was someone I was, I was talking to. Um, and uh, she had a, she, she had a entire kind of, kind of jobs to be done models for, internal people inside her organization uh, and she right. was kind of okay. addressing addressing those with the work that she was doing 
That's interesting. That's really interesting. And that's, um, I mean, you know, understanding jobs to be done is is one of those um, interesting aspects of um, user research and, and, and design that's developed over the last five or 10 years, I guess, where we've seen um, uh, a greater a greater incidence of the use of jobs to be done as a as a design tool. I've not seen it applied internally in that kind of way. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, and and I guess jobs jobs to be done is another instance of those for me. It's like um, I don't and I don't know what your first reaction to to kind of when I when I read, my first reaction when I when I kind of read about jobs to be done was like oh well no shit Sherlock sorry. Um, that's like kind of you know talk you're to your customers. To, understand. You're allowed to swear on this Adrian. That's okay. <laughs> that's yeah. that's okay. Um, good. Uh, I'll try and keep it to a reasonable. I've been trying to cut down on my swearing, but anyway. Um, but there's a you know uh, understand the pain point, the underlying pain points of your customers. Go go talk to them, understand those, articulate those, and then figure out how to solve them. That's that's mm. you know, that's that's what we've been doing in kind of good. User re- good product teams who talk to their customers have user research input uh, yeah. and stuff like that, and it's um, which is which is true. So, so at one level, it is nothing new. In and from another perspective, it is is a whole bunch of labeling and articulation and positioning of those um, mm. practices and behaviors, which are easier to communicate as a group, easier for people to understand. Yeah. Um, in some of the same ways that the kind of a bunch of the work around kind of generative user research, non-directive customer interviewing, stuff like that. Mm. There was all the customer development stuff, the the Steve Blank stuff that came in before Lean Startup kicked off. You know, when I first yeah. read Steve Blank's book, it was like, oh, talking to your customers will actually help you understand what they need. Who would have thought? Whoa, um, whoa. And, I need a drink. Yeah. yeah. But then I saw how... The, the way he talked about that and the way mm. he he presented that was much more readily accepted by a bunch of people. It's like, oh, okay, so we're yeah. talking about experiments, we're talking about feedback loops, we're talking about um, business impacts much more explicitly. How can I take those things that have helped a certain audience hear the value of user research? Um, what lessons can I learn from that? Can I use those lessons in other places? Um, so I, I so I I find looking for ways where people kind of do user research activities, but mm. don't necessarily have the user research label really interesting. Yeah, I, I just coming back to the the my my reaction to jobs to be done. Um, it's like I I I understand where it's coming from, um, and then there's the you know the sort of formalization of it and, and subsequent fetishization of it that that, that occurs <laughs> which I'll, I'll i'll leave alone but i mean um if i like particularly within the tech industry if, if we sort of wind the clock back you know 20 30 years it was an industry that was well and truly stuck in this idea of um you know incremental and constant um technical improvement so things would get faster, things would get smaller, they would have more memory, more hard drive space, you know, there would be more pixels or more color gradients or, you know, like it was, but it was this sort of constant each, each year I'd do a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. 
and I think that was um, quite an obvious but um, symptomatic uh, approach to the way a lot of product innovation was done, which is that, mm-hmm. you know, within within the broad realm of a, a well-defined conceptual model for a product, we we incremented. We released new colors. We, you know, like it was a new finish or, or whatever it might be, but it was very well painted within the lines. Um, and I, like I, I look at the introduction of things like the, the Apple iMac or the iPod as two examples of where somebody has stepped outside that existing conceptual frame. And in both cases, Apple and, and Apple are quite good at it. Um, but have stepped out of that existing conceptual frame by saying, actually, what what are people trying to get out of this thing? Like, it's it's not there for its own sake, mostly. There's something else going on, and, and what is that other thing? Um, and could we come at this from a different angle? And I think jobs to be done is just that um, sort of formal way of asking that question what's really important to this customer? Because mm. it's not to have a computer, it's something else. Um, and, you know, in the case of that iMac, it was actually what we want is to solve a problem where the aesthetic is awful and people hide these things and instead we're going to make it into almost a, a, uh, an object uh, um, that people put on display. Um, but I, I, I like it from that point of view. And so that historical step of um, coming at a problem from a very different angle and breaking out of that incremental, um, you know, sort of improvement of, of technical features, I find really, really useful. Yeah. No, and I, I think there's been some really wonderful stuff done with jobs to be done and I see, I see teams getting a lot of value out of it um and but I also see what you alluded to earlier that kind of fetishization of it the um people people kind of uh, trying to fit things into the structure that don't belong and and not not including anything that doesn't kind of neatly fit into jobs to be done as as a thing you know it's like I had a conversation with somebody a couple of months back about kind of you know doing some more longitudinal work on on some of their customers because they had long-term problems that they were returning to and it didn't Mm. kind of fit in with their view of what jobs to be done was about and it was like okay how does this like well I don't care how it fits in I care that we get this other information that we're currently missing sort of thing Um, except I use more diplomatic words than that Um, but (laughs) Um, and this is, uh, there's, oh Lord, I've forgotten the man's name. Um, there's a, there's a nice post that's often, often the, the tech sector, um, where, and I might be misremembering the labels for this. So I'm going to be, um, you might have to cut this. Um, <laughs> but he talks about, he talks about needs, um, kind of need finding community. So it, it's okay. a community that comes together around, um, and this is like in the agile technical context, it comes about, oh, I've, I've seen this problems and I've tried this practice and this thing kind of helped and this thing kind of didn't help. Um, how about you? You know, so right. it's people coming, coming, coming together to kind of, you know, sharpen the saw, 
you know, learn about new practices uh, and stuff like that. And, and they are in a state where they understand when we're, we're not in a perfect world and we don't have like the solution. We have to talk about context a lot. Mm. Um, versus the kind of communities who kind of come to you as like, I have a problem and I want to buy a box that has like the recipe of how to solve this problem on, on the side sort of thing. Uh, and that kind of audience, the kind of the, the person who's looking for the kind of the solution, the process that's going to fix all their problems, they, they tend to have bad times because they're not good at uh, articulating and looking for the context that makes some things work and, and some things fail um, inside yeah. their organisation. Mm. And I think uh, the... those discussions that require richer context, nuance, um, that kind of, you know, that that kind mm -hmm. of richness in order to understand what it is we're talking about and in order to explore. Um, I, I, I find myself um, missing those sorts of um, spaces today. I don't see those sorts of communities of practice um within the design field or the design research field in the same way that I did say 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and my model for that is a place like the IXDA uh, discussion list, um, you know, which was uh, uh, I don't recall, Adrian, if you were involved in, in that discussion list at any point. So, you know, I like was, so that sort of yeah. 2003 to 2006, 2008, um, that was the place that I would go to have that more detailed, nuanced discussion. Um, mm. And, you know, like, and, and for all its problems, um, and it certainly had, um, had plenty, um, I, Twitter's not a good place for that kind of thing. And no. I'm, I'm struggling with Slack as a place for that kind of thing. And there are, you know, in, uh, numerous communities that have sprung up in, in Slack around this kind of stuff. But I, I do find myself missing those more um, sort of nuanced spaces. I, I would agree with you. And I, I, I miss those too. And I miss them in, in multiple domains, as it were. Mm. You know, there, yeah. there was the... Like you know, I got a lot of value out the XD list when 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 there was a bunch of traffic on it. There was um, uh, the lovely Jeff Patton started an agile usability mailing list um, okay. around two thousand eight, I think. Two thousand well, probably yeah. earlier than that even. Um, there was a lot of lot of interesting value on there, and I'm I'm still on the old U test mailing list, which is, is occasionally occasionally still still bursts into life, um, and those. Those things aren't there in the same place because our our public online internet venues have, have evolved and changed a bit. Yeah. The flip side of that is that I have I have smaller communities. I think where where I still see that where where it's much more personal and meetupy sort of thing. It's like yeah. a group of ten or fifteen people who are poking at the same thing and can have a, a beer on Zoom on a Thursday evening or something uh, uh, yeah. and and have a bit of a banter about that and they 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 post problems on on the private Slack that they have and 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 have conversations that way. Um, mm -hmm. 
but that that kind of large community thing yeah that I, i've i've seen that disappear and i and i miss it greatly and i'm not quite sure how to bring it back yeah i i i agree with all of that um and those you know those smaller conversations are like those smaller group conversations um are wonderful um they can be harder to create and keep going um but they really have you know they they really can deliver a lot of value um adrian we're we're at time i want to say thank you so much for uh joining us late on a, a wednesday evening for you um we look forward to seeing you at design research in a couple of weeks time you're talking about pace layer mapping um yeah do you quick want to summary like, yeah, quick, <laughs> just really quick on the spot um uh, okay the, seconds, the, Okay, the, the too long don't read is that it's um, it's two things. It's talking about pace layer mapping itself, which is a, a shared out of artifacts to help product teams come together around research insights. It's about mapping kind of how confident we are in the utility of our research on one dimension and how often we how often we're seeing that information change on the other. And that that lets us talk about what elements of user research, what when we should use that insight um, in some useful way. So that's that's one part of it. But I think to some extent, the more interesting story, and this is maybe a kind of a theme from the earlier conversation, is that um, talk about how that came about, which wasn't kind of, you know, didn't spring from the forehead of Zeus or anything like that. It came from um us trying some stuff and it failing miserably and some trying some other stuff and that kind of working and then seeing a label not working to a different audience so we changed what it was called uh, and then we tweaked it again once we saw some other things that didn't quite work so it was, it was it's the process of kind of evolving something that helped the teams and the organization that we were working with at the time um, not not a copy of paste from somewhere else but being able to kind of own your own process and own how you work to to find something that works better for you. That's excellent. I look forward to hearing more about it and uh, seeing you in a couple of weeks. But for, okay. for now, uh, thank you for joining looking us. Looking forward to myself. Bye -bye. Thanks very much. Bye.